You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip-and-zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. I'm your host, Josh Raley. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We've got a great episode on the docket for you today. Uh, I had the chance to talk with Brian Dombrowski of Wisconsin. He is a highly mobile public land hunter who, man, the guy just gets it done. If you've been keeping up with the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast, you've heard Brian already. I had him on on uh, episode 53 over there to talk about early season public land hunting. And when we talked, he was getting ready to leave for a hunt in North Dakota. I think we recorded on a Tuesday. He was getting to, uh, ready to head out on Thursday. Well, since then, Brian went to North Dakota. He was able to tag a beautiful velvet 10 point. So, I knew I wanted to connect with him again, not only to hear the story of the deer, but also to pick his brain about out-of-state hunts. Uh, Brian has been going out-of-state hunting in North Dakota for over 10 years, and he's more successful, uh, or he's he's successful more often than when he's not. So the guy knows what he's doing when he heads out there. Uh, in this conversation, we get into his scouting strategy for heading out-of-state. Uh, you know, those hunts tend to be a little bit shorter. You don't have a lot of time to figure a place out and get it done. So we get into his scouting strategy. We talk about how he chooses an area to target, you know, generally what part of the state. We talk about the gear that he uses. Brian is a minimalist kind of guy, even when it comes to his camping setup. So I wanted to dive into, uh, you know, how he does that just so I can uh, communicate to everybody listening who maybe hasn't tried an out-of-state hunt just how simply you can do this and how cheaply you can do this, how affordable and simple these kinds of hunts can be. And then finally, we close things down with the story of his hunt from this year. And it sounds like it was a a busy hunt, a bit of a grind, but the hard work paid off with a beautiful early season velvet buck. So uh, anyway, congrats to Brian. Glad he could come back on the show. If you like the content we're launching here each and every week, you can head over and leave us a review wherever it is you access your podcast. If you can leave us a written review, like on uh, Apple Podcasts, then please do that. Our download numbers are strong, but we'd like to see a few more reviews and uh, have a few more of you chime in to let us know what you think of the show. Uh, Also, you can check us out on Instagram. We finally got that page up and going. 
That's the best way to reach out to me if you have any questions, if you have ideas, if you have guests or topics that you'd like to hear from or hear about. So, uh, yeah, give us a follow there so you can see what all we're getting into this fall. Uh, Now a bit of a public service announcement. Guys, this is the time of year when we are all jacked up. We love getting into the woods. We love taking advantage of the natural resources that we enjoy. But let's remember that hunting isn't just about taking what we can get from Mother Nature or taking what we can get from the natural resources that we all share. Being a hunter is also about giving back. And one way that you can do that is by joining the National Deer Association. They're doing great work for conservation as well as hunter recruitment and education. You can learn more at their website, deerassociation.com. Also want to give a shout out to the partners of this podcast. These guys help me keep cranking along week after week, bringing great episodes to you. First up, Huntworth. Uh, I've been bragging on their lightweight stuff for, uh, for months, pretty much all summer. And it's going to be huge heading into these next couple of weeks. We've got a cold front blowing through uh, in Georgia where I've been doing a good bit of scouting. And uh, highs are going to be in the upper 70s, it looks like, coming up. And, and this warm weather gear is going to be perfect for that. I've got a white oak that I've located that's just starting to drop with some rubs coming out of a bedding area right next to it. So it's going to be a high-risk hunt, but, uh, man, looking forward to it. And I know that my Huntworth gear is going to keep me cool and uh, keep me dry and help me get in there quiet. They also just launched their new cold-weather gear with heat boost technology. It's got graphene-infused fabric. They've reduced the bulk while at the same time making a warmer garment. You can find it all at HuntworthGear.com. Next up, Deer Lab. They're the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab helps you store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data at a whole new level with all of its features. I'm pumped to watch what Deer Lab helps me pick up on as these cold fronts start to roll through and uh, we start to see what kind of weather patterns of the fall uh, and what kind of wind directions of the fall seem to really get the bucks uh, that I'm after up on their feet. You can get a free trial of Deer Lab right now on their website, DeerLab.com. The free trial is for 30 days. There is no credit card required, uh, so you really have nothing to lose. So go over there, sign up. Then when you're ready to pull the trigger and uh, get your subscription, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any of their plans. And finally, Tacticam. They are the title sponsor of this show. They make the absolute best point-of-view cameras for outdoorsmen, bar none. Their, uh, their new 6.0 camera is, in my mind, a huge step forward uh, from the 5.0. I really love the 5.0 cameras. I ran the 5.0 and the 5.0 wide uh, all spring on my turkey hunts. And, uh, man, the 6.0 is actually a, a pretty big step up. Uh, it's got one-touch operation, optional remote control, weatherproof, durable, light, 4K footage, ADEX zoom, all that stuff that you love from your 5.0 camera but now they've added a screen. And with that, you can go rewatch the shot immediately. You can use the screen to control the settings on the camera. And so what they really did is they took their value of being user-friendly and really upped the ante on this. I can't wait to use one this fall. They also just launched the Solo Extreme camera. It's a little more of a budget-friendly option, but it still gives you HD video, one-touch operation, weatherproof housing. It's light, it's durable, all the good stuff that you come to expect from your Tacticam camera. So go check them out over at Tacticam.com or you can grab one of the Reveal X Pro cameras at RevealCellCam.com. Now let's get into the show talking early season out-of-state success with Brian Dombrowski. All right, for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I've got Brian Dombrowski. What's up, Brian? Hi, thanks for having me on here. Yeah, absolutely. I almost said welcome back to the show. 
Uh, but it's not welcome back to the show. This is the first time I've had you on this podcast. I had you yeah. a couple of weeks ago on my other podcast, and we talked about early season. Uh, specifically talked about how to get on deer in the early season, kind of your process for that, and a lot of good information. So if folks want to go and learn more about that, uh, they can go over and, and check that episode out. But um, for this one, we're, we're going to be talking a little bit about early season, I'm sure, because in that episode on Wisconsin Sportsman, you were getting ready to head out for your North Dakota hunt. And since then, you've been on that hunt, you've been successful, and now you're back home in Wisconsin. So I want to hear that story. But before we get into all of that, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do, where you're from, and kind of a little bit about your hunting career and where you're at in the prog- your progression as a hunter. So name uh, Brian Dombrowski. I'm from central Wisconsin, born and raised. Um, got a seven-year-old boy. I'm going on 20 years of marriage this year, so I got to get a good gift for that. Um, but as far <laughs> hey, that 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 anniversary is not during hunting season, is it? Uh yeah, it's coming up here in a couple weeks. Uh oh, all right, all right. So, I primarily hunt public land because that's what I have access to. Um, I I don't have any access much much access to any private land, so it's pretty much public land experience. Um, I started hunting probably in the late. 80s early 90s i would say and we had a lease over by pittsville area and we did the you know we had the box blinds and you had your set you know it it was actually fun though i mean you had a group of people you'd go to your camper and everyone's excited you go out to your you know your your block box blind and that's where you hunted and that was fun um and then i started bull hunting a few years after that and it didn't make much sense to sit in that box blind anymore when I need to be over there, you know, I need to be somewhere else. And I, I don't really bull hunt with anybody. Um, kind of just, I picked it up on my own for the most part and kind of just ran with it as far as progressing more and more into a mobile hunter. Um, and how my, how I tackle it. Um, I remember I still had my first, uh, river's edge, you know, strap on tree stand. And back in the day, they had these really cheap aluminum steps, you know, strap-on single steps. And you had to be careful because the buckles would break on them. Oh, yeah. So you had to you had to be holding on to stuff as that buckle breaks, you know, so you could pull yourself up the tree at. So it was kind of sketchy. It was, you know, you didn't have your harnesses back then. I think you had a waist belt you could put on. Yep. But that was about it. <laughs> yeah. Man. So but, when, when did you start, uh, I guess, kind of – being more, I mean, obviously as soon as you got into bow hunting, you realized, Hey, I, I don't need to be in this box blind. I, I need to be over there. Right. Like I need to be in on the, on the action. So when would yep. you say you were actually, uh, hunting in what we would consider today, kind of a mobile style? I mean, today it's got a label back then. A lot of folks were doing it, but they just didn't call it anything. They just called it hunting. Correct. Yeah. It's it, the first few years, you know, I, I, you're in that box blind mentality. Then after that, um, it was probably in my mid twenties, I would say mid to early twenties where I, I switched it up. It was probably my early twenties, I believe. Cause I still remember that the first year I ever shot, um, went in with that river's edge tree stand there set up. And I remember that first bull walking by me and I couldn't get my bull pulled back. It was so cold and an old dart and bull. And then luckily enough, there was another bull or doe coming past that. And I sh- ended up shooting that. I was back in the T zone days of uh 
uh, Wisconsin here. But yeah, it was probably the my early twenties, I believe. And I'm 45 now, so I've been doing it for you know 23 years. That mobile, you know, the mobile side of things, you know, and it's getting lighter and lighter and lighter. And then a few years ago, I actually ran into, I, I it was during gun hunting, and I'm out there and I'm sitting on my knees because I'm it, you know it's the middle of the week and I'm I'm tuckered out. I got a my lone wolf tree stand on the back with my you know four lone wolf you know 36 inch ste- uh, steps, and I said there has to be a lighter way to do this. And that's when I started looking at the saddle portion. And actually, North Dakota, I met uh, Greg, Greg Godfrey and all those guys from Tethered. They were at the camp I was at at the time. And I, I kind of bit the bullet and, uh, and went, you know, with the saddle, the lighter, the lighter stuff. So, yeah. Have you, have you regretted that move at all? I mean, I know a lot of guys who are on that edge. They're like, hey, I've gotten my tree stand system as light as I can get it, you know, and I'm considering the saddle. Have you regretted taking that step? No, no, I don't regret it at all. Um, I love, I love the, just the compactness of it. If you want to throw it in a pack and walk out there, you have your little, you know, your little platform. I can put that. It works great in my uh, pack. Um, it's, it's, I just, I just love it. It's maneuverable. It's quiet. Um, I still use the same, uh, 36 inch lone wolf tree steps, but you know, I got them outfitted with uh, stealth strips tape on there and I put a little piece of rubber around the buckle and stuff. So they're, they're dead quiet. Um, I just, yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, you could go lighter. I mean, they're making lighter, uh, lighter sticks right now and stuff like that, but, um, everything, I'm, I'm just glad I went that direction, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still running those old, uh, lone wolf sticks too, like the original longer sticks. And I've, I've, I've gone to one sticking I've used like last year, I committed to one sticking all year long. Uh, yep. I've used the smaller steps. I've used all kinds of stuff, but I keep going back to those lone wolf sticks because I'm comfortable with them. And man, y- you can't beat them. Like you really can't beat them. And with a full length stick, not having to mess around with aiders as much and everything. It just, for me, there's a, there's a point where uh, I'm willing to sacrifice on the weight side of things for the ease of use side of things and the lone wolf sticks just work. Like they're just yeah. proven. Yep. So, yeah. Those things will last forever. Yeah. Yep. So let's talk a bit about kind of your, your hunting style. I mean, we know you're super mobile uh, at this point in your hunting career. Uh, would you consider yourself a, a bed hunter, a rut hunter, an early season hunter? Do you have a label that you would like throw on your style and say, this is the Brian Dombrowski way of chasing whitetails? I prefer early season and I target beds a lot. Um, My scouting, all the scouting I do is based off of locating a big buck sign, following that buck sign all the way back to its bed and making a game plan. I got to find out when that buck was there based off the sign. Um, You know, whether it be the surrounding cover you know, because later on in the season, you know, the leaves fall, the grass drops, and it's either then, based off that, the rubs, the local food in the area. Um, but I would, I'd rather be tagged out in this state by the end of October, okay. just due to due to the pressure and the fact that I can't target a specific animal. I like targeting specific bucks in specific areas I hunt. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm looking for a. I, I want to shoot a mature buck 
you know, that has a certain genetics to them. Yeah. And that's tough to do, uh, during the rut. I'm kind of, I'm at a stage in my hunting career now where like, I'm just looking for a good buck, you know? Correct. And so I I love to hunt the rut for that reason. Cause it's like, I'm going to go out and in a week I might have opportunities at three or four, maybe five different bucks that I would personally be happy with. But, you know, I'm not at that stage yet where I'm like, I'm looking for, for something specific, you know, I'm, I want this kind of shape to the rack or I want this age class. Like for me, if it gets my heart going, send it. Yeah. And then uh, with that progression, I remember there was a time, you know, every few years I would knock down a nice, you know, a decent buck, you know, a two and a half, three year old buck, 16 inch, you know, eight, 10 point or something like that. And I'm like, my odds, you know, I, I, I wasn't satisfied with that. I want my odds. I want to be able to shoot a buck every year of that caliber or better. And I want, and then it got to the point where I want to be able to go every set and shoot a buck that caliber better. So you, you keep progressing and by, and it's all about by this percentage principle, um, you know, reading books, how you hunt, you know, how you set up, how close to the sign, but you, you, you keep up in your percentage every set, you know, by going out. And I read a lot of different books, you know, the, there's a guy by the name, uh, Joe Brooks out of Michigan, I believe he wrote a book back in the day and he talked about being a ghost in the woods and, you know, don't smell like nothing. Don't sound like nothing. Just be a ghost in the woods. And I, I believe he was out of Michigan and I, and I read the Eberhardt books, you know, and Greg Miller, Rubline Secrets and the Hal Blood. And, uh, I think it's pronounced, I always call them the Benoit's, but I think the Benoit's out of North, Northeast. <laughs> yeah. I think I always call it Benoit. I don't know. Maybe it's Benoit, but, um, I found that really interesting how they would track bucks down 20, 30 miles a day. And, you know, just like Billy goats, but, um, but it's been a progression, you know, yeah. throughout the years. Now I enjoy targeting a specific buck and going after him and playing his game. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I remember, I remember being a kid and I, I fell in love with deer hunting, like, like to an unhealthy extent when I was like 14 or 15 years old. And I was going to the local library and, and checking out any book that I could that had to do with deer and the Benoit books. I always called them the Benoit's as well until I was corrected recently on a podcast actually. So, uh, but I, I grabbed a bunch of those books and, uh, I'm sitting there in deep South Alabama reading how these guys are tracking deer in the snow. And I'm just like this, the, you know, I'm reading all this stuff and it just, it has no, no meaning for me, but it was so captivating to hear like, their style of hunting. It's, it's still something I've not done, uh, yep. but, but something I would, I would absolutely love to do one day. Um, so, so somewhere in your progression, you, you do most of your hunting in Wisconsin now, but somewhere along the way you decided I'm going to take this show on the road. Yep. Right. So tell me a little bit about how that came about and maybe what drew you to, uh, taking that first trip. Um, it's yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I, I think I was, uh, I think it was, uh, the white white tail adrenaline boys were out. They were out in North Dakota one year. And I was watching one of their videos, and I'm like, that looks like fun. And I, you know, I yeah. and I took a long weekend, and I went out there. I picked an area on a map that I wanted to go based off of uh, you know aerial photographs, and I just went out there for a long weekend. And. I didn't know where I picked out a spot. I wanted to sit opening morning. I just went to this uh, pine tree on this corner here. I sat on the ground behind the pine tree. And that first morning, three velvets come walking by and I 
I missed that first one. And ever since then, I've been hooked. Man. You know? Yeah. But it was, it was, it was I, I just wanted more. I wanted, uh, it kind of fell into place because it, it, it falls before our season. So you can go out there, chase velvets, which are awesome. And, uh, come back here, then, you know, you're kind of already in the, in the you know, mode and start our season. Yeah. Like, I want to, things work out here. I, I want to head out to Nebraska this year yet. So. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So when you, when you first started going out of state, um, obviously had a great experience. Did you tag a buck that first time out or no? No. No. Okay. Nope. All right. Nope. The first, uh, I didn't tag out that year. I went out, I think I went out two different long, maybe that was two different long weekends. I think I went out that year. I didn't take out, but, um, I went out the next year and I did get one that year. I'm on the last day of a eight day hunt. Wow. Was, yeah. Are you still, are you still going to the same area or have you, yeah, have you swapped areas since? Nope. I, I'm hunting uh, two different counties. One year I did hunt all the way across the state because I didn't like how uh, the hunt was going where I was. So I just got in my truck and I just bounced from property to property, to property, walking them, checking them out. And uh, I think I ended up down by that Cheyenne national grasslands before I actually came home and, um, that area looked pretty good down there. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I do hunt primarily. There's two different counties I kind of hunt and it's getting a lot. It didn't have any attention back in the day, but there's a lot more guys going out there now. I ran into, uh, uh the seek one guys were out there. I kind of drove by them this year and just kind of smiled at, you know, <laughs> I've been, I've been going out there for so long now that when I see a photo of someone shooting a buck in that area, I can tell you where they shoot it pretty much. Oh man. You know, just like where they shot, where the guys from seek one shot theirs. Um, I'm pretty sure I can tell you exactly which tree they were in because I, um, I believe I, I shot a buck right in that same area, you know, probably a couple hundred yards from where they were. And I used to hunt that spot. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I I've seen, obviously if you're watching hunting media, you've seen it. Yep. A, a huge influx of people who are doing things like taking an early season trip out of state, right? It's, it's become yes. wildly popular. What have you seen as far as the amount of pressure and how that has impacted deer movement when you go out there? So um, I, I was listening to a, another podcast the other day and Tony Peterson was on there and he was talking about, you know, going out to some of these areas where, um, uh, uh, you know, what he was saying is a couple, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, it was almost easy, you know, and yeah. these bucks were highly visible in, in daylight and all of that. And he's like, you know, now the same caliber and number of bucks are there, but they're not nearly as visible as they used to be. So like, what have you seen as far as the number of people and how that's impacted deer? So when I first started going out there, I'd run into some locals on the road, some old timers, you know, driving around their old Ford trucks and they're asked, they just look at you with a confused look when you told them you were out there white yelling. They just didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> what? Out here, you know? Well, I'm hunting white tails, and they just give you that really strange look, you know. Um, but now it's there's a lot more pressure, a lot more young guys going out there. But that's okay; I don't mind that um, because we, I kind of play a game where I'm hunting some bigger, bigger parcels that take some time to figure out. You can't just go out there and you know, under you know, you're not 
you might get lucky out there, but you know, you got to use more woodsmanship, I guess, to get after these deer and these bigger parcels that are kind of hidden from people. Um, so I, I kind of, I don't mind the pressure. There's a lot more, there's a lot of guys going out there though now compared yeah. to before. Yeah. But I don't feel like we're really hunting the same deer. You know, a lot of people go out there and they'll glass and, you know, spot them and, you know, set up on the evenings and I'm more of a get into these bigger woodlots and back by the bedding and, you know, try to find these deer that are less visible in these bigger areas and go after them. Yeah. Try woodsmanship to my advantage, I guess. Yeah. And I, I imagine too, like that's probably a lot of the difference between guys who are uh, doing this and they're successful every two or three or four years or, you know, whatever. And your string of success, man, we were just talking off air. You've been out there how many years? And, and then out of those years, how many times have you tagged a, a good buck? So this was my, this was my 11th year. I've been going, I skipped one year um, when I had my boy, but I believe it's been eight, eight years I've tagged out there. I got five velvets and a couple hard horns. And I've, I've passed up some deer I probably shouldn't have passed up. And that, you know, then I just gave my tag because I was going after something bigger. Um, last year, opening morning, I out there uh, knocked down a, you know, mid-160s, you know, opening morning. I've tagged out opening night out there. And I do this. I don't, I don't do any pre-scouting out there. I don't run cameras. I don't know. You know, I just know the lay of the land and historical sign going, you know, from past years and, uh, just do a little speed scouting and then, uh, get after them. It's, it's pretty much a hustle out there once you get out there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So we, we've touched on a little bit kind of what you're looking for when you head, uh, or when you're, when you're at home, right? Like looking for the specific buck and that kind of thing. You've got, you've got very specific standards in mind of what you're going for. Um, and you're also, you know, we, on our other podcast where we talked a bit about, you know, your use of mock scrapes, your use of trail cameras, your use of, of off season scouting and putting all the pieces together, right? It's very different for you when you go out of state. So tell me about, tell me about how those things are different. And then maybe, maybe what's the, what's the feel there? I mean, just as I, I imagine, uh, I imagine it's just a whole different kind of fun than what you have at home in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's uh, kind of, I kind of take like a me against the world attitude when I go out to the North Dakota and um, I just want to prove to myself I can go out there within a few days and knock down a good buck. And it's, I don't, it, it's, a, it's a totally different mindset because it's, it's a free-for-all really. Uh, you, you may never hunt this spot again in the rest of your life. You may never hunt it the rest of the week. You're just, you're taking your shots at these at these spots you're, you're you're finding the active sign you're running around you know i don't have any worries as far as work or anything home life or you know i'm just out there hunting so you can really get focused and just uh cover some ground find the active sign and take your swings at these deer and it's it's fun it's just, it's, it's really fun yeah so i mean obviously there's some good ones i mean the the deer you tagged this year uh real nice buck i mean the, in the i think it must have been like the first picture I saw of it or something didn't quite do it justice. Cause then I saw another one. Did I, did you post two different pictures of it? I think so. Yeah. I, I think I posted one where just the side view over the arrow went in yep. and then, uh, and yeah, posted the other view. Yeah. And then the actual shot with you and you know, you holding the deer's rack. I was like, 
oh, that's a much, that's a bigger deer than it looked like, uh, yeah. you know, on the ground. <laughs> it was decent. I was, I'll admit I was contemplating, it was that it was Monday night and I was really contemplating, um, it was a virgin sit on that area and I was really contemplating whether I should, you know, I'm like, I got the rest of the week, but I'm like, my cousins were out there hunting a different area. So I thought this would be a pretty cool experience to share. Um, hot weather, it was hard hunting and you know, that was the first decent buck I saw out there this year. So, yeah. And so what, what's your typical standard? Cause I, I think for a guy who's saying, okay, I want to go out of state. Maybe it's their first trip out of state. Maybe, maybe they've tried it before, but they haven't been successful. Like, what would you tell folks when they're heading out of state as far as like where they're going to set their standards compared to where their standards might be at home? I just, you know, I, I'm, I wouldn't set your standards very high. Uh, if you don't have any experience out in that area or know what's out there from uh, prior scouting or if you're not running cameras, just go out there and have fun. Um, nobody's, you know, the only one that's really going to remember this hunt is you and your friends that you're with. So go out there, have fun. Um, I've run into some nice guys out there, you know, we, you know, one guy from uh, Minnesota, a couple guys from Wisconsin and, you know, we share stuff, you know, and we're just out there having fun basically. But, you know, cause no one's really going to remember these pictures in 10, 15 years or, you know, it's just, <laughs> I can't show my wife cause she doesn't you know, she don't want to look at them anymore, you know, but, um, just have fun. Don't set your standards high. Just go out there. Have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So let's talk a little bit about maybe um, setting for set, setting plans for a first time out of state trip, and maybe you can kind of run through. I mean, the process obviously looks different for you now because you're you're real familiar with this area. But for a guy who's saying, you know, like, like for me, for instance, I mean, last time we talked, I said this year was the year I was hoping to get out to North Dakota. Uh, actually, it was between South Dakota and North Dakota. South Dakota changed some things up with, regarding their tags and all that, how they work for non-residents. So I've, I've pushed that decision off to next year. I'm going to take a two-week rutcation this year, and, and that's going to take up all of my time. But So for next year, I'd love to make it to North Dakota. Where would you encourage me or another guy making an out-of-state trip to kind of start the planning process? You, the first plan is you want to find out kind of want to pick an area you want to have a home base in. Um, and that's going to be based off your aerial scouting or maybe word of mouth. Um, if you have any buddies out there that have gone out there, maybe duck hunting, goose hunting, they might know the lay of the land. Um, I know North Dakota website has, uh, you can look up the deer densities in certain areas. You're going to want to pick a home base, basically, where you want to start. What kind of terrain do you want to hunt? Do you want? They got hills out there. They got big woods. They got all different terrains. So what, what terrain do you want to hunt from east to west side of North Dakota? Um, after that, you know, of course you're going to want to, the licensing, um, licensing is pretty, it's two fifty for the tag, $20. Uh, there's another tag for 20, I think a wildlife tag and another $2. So it's like two seventy two going, going out there. Um, want to, you know, a place to stay. There's campgrounds you can stay, but most of those close down by, you know, October. So you want to make, you know, make sure you're planning for that. There's not a lot of hotels out there. So maybe you, there's some farmers that would probably rent out their house. So you're going to have to have that. Um, where to keep, if you're going out as a group of people, maybe make plans on, you know, if someone tags out, where are you going to, what are you going to do with the meat? If it's warm out there, 
um, because a lot all the gas stations out there are pretty much closed where I go by like eight, eight nine o'clock at night. Wow. So okay. It's, it's pretty. You know, once eight nine o'clock at night, it's you know everyone's all the places are closed out where we are. Um, so you just got to make plans like that. But I guess you just you want to find a home base where you can just kind of branch out, maybe has a lot of different properties you can search out once you get out there and do your scouting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so uh, assuming we've located an area, you know, with the terrain we want to, basically an area that's going to give us the experience that we're looking for, right? Like that, that's kind of the, the heart of it, right? We want the terrain that we're looking for. We want the deer density that we're looking for. We want the quality that we're looking for. We want the, vegetation type that we're looking for. We want that hunt that we've been dreaming of when we think of an out-of-state hunt. We don't want to show up somewhere and it's like, man, this place looks completely different than what, than what I had in, had in mind, right? You don't want to be disappointed with that. But when it comes to shifting from logistics to like map scouting and beginning to kind of put some pieces together before the trip, what does that process look like for you? I mean, I, I know you've, you've got pretty good knowledge of the ground that you're on. But, but how does that compare maybe to how you map scout at home or is it very, very similar? It's uh, very similar. Um, I'll pick out a different, you know, I'll pick out a, a, a section I want to target or a county and I'm going to pick all the different properties in that county that look good based off of the terrain or maybe the features in the woods or the, just, you know, the crops adjacent to it. Um, and you're just, you're just going to take these parcels and you're going to, you know, just make little checks where, you know, like a checklist of areas you just want to check out once you get out there. And you can write them off pretty quick, you know, just take a quick dive into that parcel and write it off if you don't want. But it's, it's going to look very similar to what I do at home here. I get a little more in depth, I guess, at home because I'm targeting specific deer where out there I'm targeting just really, you know, a nice animal. So I guess that's, that's where it kind of separates for me. Um, yeah. Do you, so at home, um, if I'm guessing one thing that Brian does is he says, you know what, this spot is way too easy to access. So it's way down on my priority list. When you're out in North Dakota, let's say, are you ruling out places? Like is the pressure to that point where you're like, I'm not going to bother with this spot because I know it's going to be eat up. Or are you just like, Everything gets a look. Everything gets a look, even in Wisconsin. Um, I don't care how easy the access is. I don't care how many people are hunting it. Um, if that big buck sign is in there, it's in there for a reason, and the people aren't hunting it properly. So if that big buck is, he'll, he'll live right in amongst all these people that are in there. And you may be going in these areas and not seeing any deer, but then you do your after-season scouting and you find this this big buck sign. He's still in there. So I, I don't care how easy it is. I've hunted next to parking lots. I've hunted everywhere. And just based off the sign, um, even out there, if I see someone parked in a certain spot, a certain woodlot I want to get into or a certain area, I'll just I'll wait till Monday or Tuesday and I'll head in there and hunt it. I'll, just, I'll give them their shot, and then I'm going to go in there and slip in, you know, and based off the knowledge I know from the past, and uh, take my shot at it. So I'm, I'm not concerned about pressure at all. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't chase the deer out of the county. You know, it, they might sit a little tighter, um, maybe move a little later. Um, just means you got, might have to get a little closer to them. 
Yeah, and man, that, that's something that um, is kind of counter what you hear a lot of other folks saying when it comes to map scouting, right? It's like, hey, basically yep. take your map, look at everything that's easy to access and exit off. Just forget about it, pretend it doesn't exist and don't go look at it. I have, over the last couple of years, um, sort of specialized in hunting some places and having really good luck in areas where uh, there are other people hunting it but they aren't necessarily hunting it appropriately. They're, they're hunting it on the wrong wind or something like that. And the deer are just skirting them by just a little bit. And sometimes you have to wonder, it's like, how are they not killing that deer? I don't know how nobody's killed it yet, but, but he's still in there. And this spot, the the sign is still there and my cameras are still lighting up. So I've still got to hunt this place. Um, man, that's, that's a really tough thing. Cause like I, I get in these moods where I'm like, dude, that's pretty arrogant of me. To just think that like, oh, yeah, this guy's in there, but uh, I can do it better. But so often it turns out, you know, not that I'm a better hunter or any smarter than they are. I just have a different view on it. And, and, that's, and that changes over your career because I, I never write off a piece of property and never fall in love with one. Um, each year I take a look at these properties and you might view it differently based off the knowledge you gained or maybe what you've heard on a podcast or you just, you walk into that property and then there's just something clicks in your head. You're like, Oh, okay. Now I understand this. Um, but yeah, pressure doesn't bother me at all. Big, I, I think a lot of people are targeting deer in general and like at home here, I'm targeting specific animals. So that if that sign is in there, he's in there, you know, and he's skirting people, he's getting by people. But if, if that big buck sign is in there that I'm after, I'm going to go after him, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, sign doesn't lie. So if, if it's if it's showing big buck sign or something like that, or even in North Dakota, we got a lot of historical sign um, that I go after. That's it doesn't lie. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner, and Tacticam just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point-of-view camera, providing 4K footage in a user-friendly, waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation that you've come to expect from your Tacticam point-of-view camera. Tacticam's lineup of cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount, as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, they just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free 30-day trial. And then when you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. How much are you worried about... I mean, obviously you're showing up and you're wanting to put boots on the ground pretty quick. I mean, if you've got five or seven days, you've got to burn through some spots. 
how concerned yeah. are you with, you know, quote unquote, blowing an area out? And how much are you just like, I, I got to get the intel, so I'm going. I'm going. I got zero concern um, to a certain extent. If it's a new area, I don't plan to hunt. I'm going to walk it. And if I bump deer out, so be it. They're not going to leave. I mean, I'm probably the first person that's been back there all year. So if I bump them out, I'm going to make note of where, you know, all these bedding areas are, all the historical signs. I'm looking for fresh. I'm really looking for fresh scrapes when I get out there. Rubs are negotiable based off of, you know, the velvet shedding and all that. Um, but I'm, I'm not worried about blowing them out. When I go out to a spot, you know, it's different. I guess when I, when I'm look, when I'm going into a spot where I know I want to hunt and I just want to see what's home, I'm going to press the issue by walking as close to that bedding area as I can. And if I jump maybe that first year, I see that first year kind of skirt off. Like I did, it happened multiple times this year where I'd walk close enough into the bedding where I skirted the deer and I backed out and I hunted it that night and you know, the deer come right back in there. They're not, but I'm not blowing the area out, you know, cause I plan on hunting it, but I'm following the sign all the way up to that as tight as I can to get to that bedding. Yeah. that kind of lets you know, like, Hey, I'm, I'm in here deep enough at yeah. this point. Like, as soon as you start to bump some of those, you know, I guess what you would consider satellite deer that, that probably aren't in the most preferred bed. You probably didn't stumble up on the big buck bed, you know, first thing, right? So as soon as you start to kick up some deer, it's like, okay, this is, this is where I'm in the game, right? Yep. You got to be in the game when you get out there. Cause you know, with, with no Intel for the season, um, like this year I left that, I left Thursday, my house at after work about 7 PM. I got out there 6:30 AM on Friday. The season opens at noon and I, I hit the ground running. You know, I'm, I have an, I, you know, I got, I have my checklist of spots based off of, uh, you know, prior experience, if, if this oak flat is dropping and there's soybeans over here next to the CRP field, I know they're going to be hitting these white oaks before heading to that, you know, before heading to the soybeans or the canola. Um, just, it's just how it works every year. And as long as I got a good wind, I'm going to slip into that spot right away. I don't need to do any more scouting, um, for, you know, for that area. But yeah, you just hit the ground running out there and if, if your legs aren't cramping up by day two or three, you know, you're not walking enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. So when it, when it comes to, you know, you mentioned keying in on fresh scrapes and you, you teed me up for one of the things I wanted to talk about, you know, being that early in the season, uh, one of the things I look for at home is a good white oak that's either dropping or, or you know, just starting to drop. I love to find them when they're just starting to drop and then one with some rubs right around it, right? I know it's in good proximity to bedding and it's got, yeah. you know, a couple rubs maybe somewhere in the in the perimeter maybe. Um, rubs are hard to come by when you're hunting velvet bucks. They so, are. So I don't – when I – I don't look at this year's rubs when I'm doing that. I look at past years. Okay. So there's going to be good historical data there that show me, you know, that proved to me that there are bucks in this area, bachelor group possibly. Um, you might be able to tell the time of year they were made, you know, if they're in a staging area next tight to bedding. But I really like looking for those scrapes next to thick cover out there, fresh ones. And that this year, the first scrape I found that was opened up that, meant anything to me was after I shot my buck and I was walking out to the truck 
I walked past a fresh scrape. Wow. So that was the first one I, and the same with last year when I shot that one opening morning. I walked into this, this oak flat that historically I knew if the oaks were dropping, these deer bed within, you know, 50, 75 yards of these oaks because it's really thick, really fast, and they can see out in this little opening with the wind coming over their back, um, you know, with a predominantly northwest wind out there. But I remember walking in at, I think it was like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, and I caught a whiff of either, you know, like that a deer musk. I, I caught that whiff, and I either thought it was an elk, because the elk are out there running at that time, or I thought it was, you know, a, a scrape nearby. And after I shot that buck last year, when I was walking out 10 feet from that spot, I smelled him. There was a fresh scrape right there, you know, probably like 70 yards from where I shot that buck. So I, I love finding these early season scrapes out there because it, it lets you know that there's, you know, the potential of batch group right there. Yep. Yep. When you are looking for these early, early scrapes, yeah. when, when it comes to October or, you know, I'm looking for a scrape, um, that shows some aggression. Maybe it's got some depth to it, indicating maybe it's been used multiple years. Uh, maybe it's got multiple licking branches around it where it looks like it's getting a lot of activity. What kind of, um, I, I guess, how are you gauging the activity? Because I've found really early season scrapes before, and it, it really just looks like they made a pitiful effort at making a scrape. You know I mean? It, it's like, was that a turkey or is that a deer? Like, how how aggressive of a scrape does it need to be to really grab your attention or will any kind of scrape do any kind of scrape that time of year does for me. Okay. Um, I, a few years back, I did a little, you know, uh, scouting during the day. And the only thing that keyed me up to, uh, bucks being there, I found a broken branch, one single broken branch on a tree and a couple paw marks below it. And I went out and I set up on that spot that night. And, uh, that night I, I seen a great big 10. I didn't get a shot at him. I passed up a uh, 138 full velvet at seven yards. I got video on that on my Instagram and which I should have shot that one, you know, hindsight, but <laughs> I'm glad you said yeah. it. I was thinking it. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm like, well, you, know, you, you see this really nice 10 and I'm like, I got all week, you know, it's like Saturday night. I'm like, I got all week. And of course I never seen anything bigger. But it, it can be the subtlest little sign out there. And these, these, you know, these bachelor groups aren't moving far during that time of year. So if you find a little buck sign, and no matter how small it is, pay attention to it. It could just be a broken nip branch with a couple paw marks underneath it. Um, chances are it's not going to be overly aggressive. So you just, you just got to have that woodsmanship and kind of understand what you're looking You know, it, it doesn't take much. Yeah. Yeah. Where... I'm I'm really curious now where you see guys going wrong. Like you, uh, so first of all, you're camping out there. It, it's like a campground of some sort, right? Like there are, multi, there are a lot of people around. So I'm assuming you get to interact with other hunters at least a little bit. Where do you see Not, guys going wrong and what, what mistakes are they, what mistakes are holding them back from having the kind of success that you have? They're, uh, they're scared. Um, they're scared of bumping deer. They're scared of hunting the wrong wind. They're just, they're scared of the unknown. Wow. Um, that's, that's the big, I've heard a lot of people like, wow, I was scared of the wind. I didn't want to bump deer. I didn't want, I'm like, you're out of state, you know, just go for it. Just, you know, 
wing it. If if you got a if you got a you know you got a kind of a crappy win for a set, you may never hunt that the rest of the year. Um, just make sure you can shoot that spot where that wind's going to screw you up. You know, make sure you can shoot that spot that bucks possibly going to hit. Um, take your chance. You just you know you got to take chances. Um, you know you're you, you can't wait for the perfect scenario because you got five days, a long weekend, seven days. So just kind of go for it. Yeah, man, I, I got to say that that is not the answer I expected, but but it hit hard like yeah. they're, they're scared because and I think it hit hard because I recognize that in myself, you know, even hunting at home early season. Like I just I'm I'm so cautious and it, and it can be an area that I know I'm probably not going to come back to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this white yeah. oak is going to be hot for another three or four days and and I'm uber cautious or or I won't go sit it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've got a, a spot in mind right now that I know is hot. It's got some fresh rubs in there. Acorns are just starting to drop in this area. And I haven't gone in there yet because I haven't had the perfect wind. But every yeah. day that that slips by, I'm like, he might be gone. You know what I mean? And and, and so, yeah, so that, that hits pretty hard. Thanks for offending me. Uh, <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that fear piece, man, yeah. And, and that fear too, I think, and the first thing that popped in my, into my mind was that fear of failure, like yeah. that fear of something going wrong so often keeps us from trying anything. Correct. You know, go out, go out there, give it, you know, take your shot. You know, if the wind's, you know, you got to play the window a certain extent, but if the wind's kind of crappy for a spot, I'm going to make sure I can shoot that spot. You know, if that buck comes there and he smells me, that's going to be his last smell. <laughs> you you, you yeah. got to go out to attitude where, um, you know, you're the you're the big bad wolf of the forest, you know, and you're just you just you're going to go in there and just take what you can. You know? Yeah, well, there's that. What if he smells you? Well, I'm going to be the last dude he ever smells. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> oh man, I was going through. Him. What's that? soon as he gets the whiff, you know, that arrow is going to go through him. So that's right. That's right. Well, man, let's, let's talk gear just a little bit. Like, yeah, I, I, now I've read a lot of articles. I've heard a lot of other podcasts that are like, if you're going out of state, you got to have this stuff. And I think some of it is probably overplayed a bit. Like you can go out there in your Walmart camo and your Walmart backpack and, and, and a, and a Walmart tent. Like you can literally go to Walmart, get everything you need and go 100%. make an out-of-state trip and have a wonderful time. Yeah. But yep. there are a lot of things that can help you be more effective, more comfortable, and maybe play into your success. So let's talk your gear. Like, what are you bringing? How are you camping? Are you camping in a tent? Like, uh, what kind of camo are you wearing? Because it's miserable that time of year. What are you doing uh, to keep bugs off you? All the stuff. Like, I sleep in a tent. I I was in a hotel for several years and I actually just, I sleep in a tent, which is fine with me. Cause I, it's just, just for sleeping, you know, um, as far as gear, do you want to know like the gear that I hang out with the tent with or more of the hunting side of things? Yeah. Let's do it all, man. Let's do it all. Okay. So it's, when I, when I go out there, of course you got to be stocked up, you know, for eight days. I eat out of a can, you know, spaghetti, anything out of a can, I don't even need to heat it up. Just open the can and eat it. Um, so you want, just something fast to eat. I got my cot, my 
my cot through my tent, my bag. I don't, um, you know, some lighting and stuff like that, but it, it's pretty minimal. I do, you know, bring your own water out there. Um, it's, it's pretty basic stuff. It's just, it's basically just for crashing and getting a little bite deep yeah. at the camp. But out for gear that I bring hunting, um, I've been, you know, I've been, uh, using more scent lock products lately. Um, and they got their, you know, their Savannah series or lightweight series. That's pretty much what I wear for, you know, that week, uh, pretty light clothing. Um, a big must is a mosquito a head net, you know, don't go out there without it. I mean, it's just, you're going to be miserable if, you know, swatting bugs, especially when you got that deer staring at you and you got mosquitoes crawling on your face or something. You're trying to swat them with your hand so they can't see you. But, you know, a mosquito head net, thermocell. Um, I bring multiple boots because, you know, a day of walking, you're going to get all sweated up so you can swap your boots out. I usually, I'm pretty low key with boots. So I, I for the most part, I wear uh, just uh, the lacrosse alpha burleys or Lagrange, you know, the 18 inch, 18 inch rubber boots. I don't, nothing special there. And yeah, it's, it's pretty basic stuff. I um, got my um, lone wolf sticks. I use those. I do take, uh, I got my tethered saddle platform. Um, I do take a backup. And I, you know, if you got room in your truck, take a backup stand or something, you know, just in case. There was there was one year I actually forgot my straps for my uh, sticks, so I was trying to tie them to a tree with some ropes. So that was fun. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> but you know, you, you you don't you don't have to take very much stuff out there to yeah. be a success successful. It's just a few creature comforts and your your basic, you know. There's, there's not a lot. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I don't do any calling or any of that kind of stuff. So I don't have any calls. I take, I do take a grunt call, but I, I really never use that. That's kind of a desperation. You know, if I see a deer off, you know, off in the distance or something like that. Um, if I'm trying to grunt a deer and that, that just tells me I set up in the wrong spot because I, I want to be in that spot where that I'm going to catch him, you know, out of the blue coming off his bedding area. So, but yeah, nothing, nothing special, I guess. I wonder, you know, yeah. you can go to all this stuff and you can be very successful. And I, I think the guys that do that and they're really successful without having to spend a lot of money or that, that impresses me. Yeah. And uh, that, that's, that's secretly where I hoped you would go. Now I knew nothing about like your setup. I mean, you might've rolled through a whole list of $2,000 worth of gear uh, oh. and I wouldn't have known it, but like, I was hoping that you were going to say something along those lines of just super simple setup. Yeah. I, am not, you know, I, I'm it, by no means do you have to have anything. I think the only thing you said, we really have to have is something for the mosquitoes. Right. So. I, I'll tell you what, I, I had a hard time finding a head net this year. I went to all, you know, Walmart. I went to all these places. I think I finally found it at Menards and you know, for, you need that two dollar head nut. You just need that out there. Yeah, yeah man, <laughs> so, I don't. I don't blame you. That looks rough. Yeah, and another, you want a pair. Of, you always want. I always wear a pair of gloves every time I go scouting or hunting because you, you never want to touch anything with your bare hands. I've that bit me in the butt one time where there was a branch in the way out there, and I, I just kind of moved it. You know, I, I, I you know snapped it off or whatever with my bare hands. 
and that first doe that come by looked up at that branch, she smelled it and took off, you know. Mm. So you always want to be cognizant about that. But you don't need you don't need expensive gear. You don't need uh, you know to be successful out there. Just go out there, have fun, and uh, yeah. That's good. Well, any so the next thing and kind of how I want to wrap all of this up is with the story of of this year's buck. But before yeah. we get to that, I do want to just ask, do you have any general tips? Like you've been doing this out of state thing for a long time. Any like, you know, here's a here's one tip or one thing to stick in your back pocket that you need to do, uh, maybe specifically for North Dakota, but maybe just generally, like any guy going out of state, if you're going to Illinois, you're going to Ohio, you're going to Oklahoma, whatever it is you're doing, do this thing and you'll be happier on your trip. The biggest thing, don't settle. Um, you got to keep hustling. You got to find active deer sign. Don't settle on a piece of property. Don't settle. You know, I'm going to hunt this stand and I'm going to keep hunting it. You got to cover ground and you got to find active deer. Um, that's, and that's all I do out there is I, from you know, I'll do a morning sit and if nothing's in there by probably eight thirty, quarter nine, I'm down and I'm out there scouting and I'm scouting up until, you know, for the next four hours till I go back, take a shower and then head out for the evening set. You just, it's a hustle and you just, you keep grinding and you keep grinding. And those are the guys I see that are successful. Um, a couple guys I know out there, you know, they, they, they kept grinding and are kind of hunting the same area as me. I ran into them and I met them a couple of years ago and that's, that's the attitude they got. You know, they're getting to us or getting more, less timid out there and they keep hustling and searching for these active areas. And, uh, you know, they're, they're pulling out some deer too now. Yeah. So, but yeah, never don't settle. Um, you just, you, you keep looking for that active deer and you just keep going and just let the, you know, let the cards fall where they fall. So. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Well, let's, Let's talk about the story of the of the buck that you got this year. It was a beautiful deer. Set it up first by just telling me, uh, tell me about the deer. Have you put a tape to him or anything? Have you taken any, did you weigh it? You know, how, give the listeners kind of a feel for uh, the, the size and scope of the deer you took. So I, I, I didn't put a tape to him. I believe it's going to be probably mid to low 130s, I think, when it's said and done. Um it was a mainframe eight with split G twos. So it would have been a 10 full velvet, beautiful velvet. Um, I, when I remember seeing it, when it came in, it just kind of glowed, you know, I had a really, I shot other velvets. Um, but this one just had this really free, you know, look to them. Um, just a beautiful deer. I didn't weigh them because, uh, we quartered them up, you know, out in the woods or up in a parking lot. We take them and, uh, it wasn't one of my heaviest deer. He's probably only a two and a half year old buck out there, but it was really hard hunting this year. And it was supposed to be getting hotter and hotter and hotter all the way up until that weekend. So that kind of weighed on my options there. Um, but it was a really, yeah, just a really beautiful mainframe eight with the split G2s would have made him a 10. And just a beautiful deer. He's probably, you know, probably that, you know, 15, 16 inch inside spread, I believe, on or something like that. Just, yeah, just a really nice deer. Yeah. Real nice respect. That's the like when I think about making the trip to North Dakota or even to Nebraska for like a velvet hunt, that is, that is the deer that is in my dreams. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just, just beautiful, beautiful deer, respectable deer. And then, I mean, obviously when they're in velvet, they just look so majestic and, and you know, yeah. That 
that adds like 40 inches to the deer, you know, the velvet. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, I love oh. that meme floating around that's like, uh, you know, it shows somebody with a grumpy face, and it's like when all those velvet 160s turn into 120s, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, by the time it's, I'd like to have, by the time my career is over, about 15 on the wall that are all velvet. Um, I got five right now, so I, I think I should be able to put another 10 on the wall, I believe, so. Nice, <laughs> nice. But yeah, I, 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 I'd take a smaller one, you know, I, I love the velvet whitetails it's, it's fun yeah it's just fun so run me through run me through your hunt then you left on a was it a you left on a friday or thursday night or i left thursday night after work um about seven o'clock about got out there about six thirty in the morning to the area i wanted to hunt take a look, couple little naps on the way out there um, and as soon as i got out there i started scouting geographically as I worked into my territory that I hunt, I'll, I'll hit this spot, this spot, this spot. And I'm doing, you know, quick road scouts as far as what the crop is. I know it's historically a good spot because, you know, you got mature white oaks probably dropping CRP. Um, and I, I'm just checking these spots out as I go. And this, and this is, uh, you know, about Friday, about one o'clock, two o'clock, I'll check into the campground, get set up. And then I'm planning for that evening hunt as soon as I get out there. Based off of that quick scout I did on the way out, you know, I'll check out a few different spots, get a game plan, and, I'll, you know, get my feet wet on that first spot. And that first spot I, I sat, it was a beautiful spot. We had a northwest wind, which worked perfectly. I was covered in deer. I've, there's historically been really good uh, batch groups in that area. And right at last light, you know, I, I had, I don't know if you see, I had deer right below my stand. I was looking at them through my bowl. I had deer, they're all eating acorns. They all work into the small woodlot before they head out to the soybeans at night. And right at last light, I had a batch of group work into me. It was too, you know, too dark. So I got out that night and I planned on going back there in a couple of days to hunt that spot. But that, that didn't work out because the wind shifted from the south. So I had to, find a bunch of spots for the southerly wind. Um, but yeah, you just, you just keep pounding like that. Um, that was my Friday sit. Uh, Saturday, I went to a spot that I shot. Saturday morning, I went out to the spot that I shot the deer the year before. That's historically a good spot, too, when the oaks are falling. Um, you, you really can't pre-scout that spot because as soon as you get in there, the deer are going to see you if you're there during the day and you're going to bump them out of there. Um, I don't, so I don't like pre-scouting that. I just go into that one blind. I'll throw a sit at that spot. And I seen a few deer there. The oaks weren't falling. There was nothing in there. So I, I backed out of there. Um, and then we ended up just kind of speed scouting all these different areas. And, uh, until I found this, you know, Monday night is when I tagged out out there. And I had been checking out new areas because a lot of my areas were uh, burr oaks were dropping, but I wanted to target maybe some white oaks. And I, I was having trouble finding good white oaks that were dropping out there. And I went to this area that I scouted that day. You know, this, this is my first scout in this uh, new area. It was a CRP field with the back edge, the back corner kind of starts to dip down into the woods and it's a huge woods area. And I got back to there and there's a single trail 
coming up from that back corner. And when I ducked down into that woodlot, it just screamed staging area to me because there was three different faint trails leading from all different directions right to that spot. And I, I only walked about 10 or 15 yards in each direction. And I could see there, I could see the soft edge of the woods kind of further in where it turned into thick bedding. And I knew this spot had not gotten any hunting pressure. Um, I didn't see anyone's tracks in there. You know, you can kind of check the matted grass as I'm going back there to different, different, you know, different areas like that. Um, but I knew it wasn't getting any pressure. So it had no reason for the deer to be further in than, you know, maybe a hundred yards from where I was standing. And there were a couple mature oaks there that were dropping and it just, that I had the wind, Every, everything screamed, you know, just, you know, back out now and hunt this spot tonight. So I, I got out of there. I backed out, picked my tree out. I actually made a, a mock scrape right at the, you can't use any natural deer lures or any of that in this area. So I, you know, roughed up the ground there below a tree and uh, right on that corner there, I, I had plans. I was going to put a camera to see what, you know, take inventory. And I it just kept nagging at me. So I, I'm like, I got to sit this tonight. I got to sit this spot tonight. So I went back in there that night and I, you know, got in the tree. I'm, I'm up, I'm up in my saddle. What was really nice about that saddle is you can kind of lean back. I'm a leaner and you can kind of lean back and the way this tree situated, there was a branch from another tree that was really a lot of leaves and I can lean back into that shape of the, that branch. So you couldn't even see me if you were at that, you know, that scrape area where that, you know, that staging spot. So it worked out just beautifully. And this, with plenty of daylight left, I had a, a doe and a fawn come and they came from behind me. They, you know, they came from the, one of the bedding areas and they worked, worked their way behind me, past me. And I happened to look, look back into the cover a little more and I seen, you know, I seen his antlers moving around back in there and he's probably like 75 yards away at this time. And he worked his way up probably within, you know, three yards of that mock screen. And I looked them over and I'm like, that's a really nice deer. This is a perfect shot. Um, it was a, you know, it was a strong quartering two shot, but my arrow set up, I'm kind of built for, you know, hunting bear, I believe with that as far as it's, it's pretty heavy, single bevel broadhead and stuff. Um, but I, I took a strong quartering two shot on him and hit him in front of the shoulder and it went right, right through and exited the four inches, the armpit on the other shoulder and broke his, uh, Broke his ball joint actually, and you know, exited too, and buried in the ground. And you know, it, he ran probably like thirty yards and tipped over there. But it was, it was just a perfect setup. And when I got in there originally during that day, it just everything screamed to me. You know, just, just you have to hunt this spot. You got to throw a sit at here. Um, I did. There was historic sign uh, as it was down in that woodlot. I seen historic rubs on the trees that indicated the staging area close to this bedding. And there was also, uh, I could see some dropping, you know, deer poop in there, you know, recent, you know, coming off that faint trail. So everything, you know, you just, you just keep hustling these spots, you know, checking these spots out. Um, that spot just screamed where, you know, when I entered it. Yeah. So everything worked. What's that? Everything worked out good on that one. So. Man, that's awesome. And, and beautiful deer. Congratulations again. Uh, my last question for you is, 
when you're going in, you're you're hitting a bunch of areas. So like you went in Saturday morning, you scouted, and you spent the you know some Saturday scouting, some Sunday scouting. Are you skipping any sits? Like if you go into an area in the evenings, are you um, just scouting your way in? And if you don't find what you're looking for, you're backing out, or are you like, hey, I have a destination in mind, so I'm gonna I'm gonna scout my way in, and wherever I end up, that's worth throwing a sit at it, even if it's for an hour. Like how do you play that? So I play it. So I I, I had seven sits out there. Um, I've never I, I had you know I, I sat I sit I sit in the morning I sit at night, and I kind of do it, you know, I know the lay of the land out there. I know the different areas now, but I kind of, you know, like a bass fishing tournament where they call fish, they throw the little one back. Yep. I'm constantly doing that out there. I'm looking for better and better spots. I will, you know, I got a spot in mind when I go out there, I do a quick scout. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, it's, it's on past history's told me that there's a batcher group here when the, you know, when these oaks are dropping, the food crop is such. I know how they move through this area. I'm throwing a sit because I know they're bedded close. And then I just keep building off that. I will scout all day long and I keep finding new spots. I never sit the same. I don't think I sat the same spot twice in the last, you know, this whole, you know, I, I usually don't sit the same spot twice. It's always new spots. I'm throwing sits at, you know, just kind of calling these spots based off the sign. I'm looking for that specific, um, early season rubs, you know, that specific uh, white oak that's dropping really close to bedding and maybe that nip branch from the buck, you know, that walk by or, you know, I'm historical sign, but I'm, I'm just, I'm constantly, you know, checking out these new spots and, you know, calling the old ones, but I don't sit out. I haven't sit out, you know, I have in the past where I sat in a spot I think it was opening night. It just didn't feel right. So I got out of my stand like at seven o'clock and I just went to the side. Mm. You know, I just, you kind of get a feeling, you know, like, you know how you're, I've hunted, I've hunted where I set up in a tree and I'm like, I need to be 40 yards that way. So then I get down and I, you know, you just move, you know, I, yep. you just constantly thinking about like, I got to be there. I, you know, I'm just not close enough to the action. Right? So, um, but you're just, you know, you're just, constantly going through your progressions out there of different areas you want to check based off the sign and you can either put a cross from this year or you know you can throw a sit at them um, and then based off of if it's a good morning spot versus a night spot because um, it's going to be hard to get in if the food is too close to the bedding that's going to play a role and you know can you get in between that yeah so, yeah <laughs> Very good, man. Well, where can uh, where can folks keep up with you? I mean, you're grinding in, in Wisconsin now. You filled your North Dakota tag. Now you're grinding in Wisconsin. Where can folks kind of keep up with your season if they want to learn more? Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Brian Dabrowski, uh, B-R-I-A-N, D-O-M-B-R-O-W-S-K-I. Um, Wisconsin, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about Wisconsin here. It's kind of nice to get, get the monkey off your back, get that first buck out of the way. Now it's kind of the cream. I can uh, I can go after a particular few deer that I want, you know, and we'll see what happens. But we got I got some pictures of some uh, pretty big ones I'm going after this year. So awesome, man! Well, good luck to you this year, and uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, anytime, buddy.
And that is all for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Be sure to follow along with us on Instagram if you have not already. Uh, Also, go leave us a review, a written review if you can, wherever you access this podcast. If you're in the mood for a little bit more whitetail hunting content, be sure to head over to thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find uh, not only this podcast, but my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a whole list of other relevant outdoor content bringing you exactly what you're looking for this fall. 